Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! So Jesus would pray in the garden before he went to the cross. He said to the Father, he said this, make them one as we are one. So the Lord's prayer is that we would become unified. And when we talk about unity in the church, there's a lot. I mean, that is a long, deep, and wide subject. But I want to talk about unity in a little different way and maybe in a way that you hadn't thought about. In Ephesians 5, Paul would teach a little bit on the power and the importance of marriage. And the setup for it would be simply this. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And he would talk about how husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives should submit to their husbands as they submit unto the Lord and that we should be treating the spouse the way we would treat ourselves, particularly husbands, to their wives. And then he'd pull out this little promise from the garden that would seem only relevant in the context of marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his parents and a wife will leave their parents and in turn... The two will be joined together and they'll become one flesh. But then he goes on to say, but I'm actually talking about a great mystery. So God would set up these prophetic patterns and pictures that marriage would actually be designed to be a reflection of Jesus and his church and the unity that God wants in his body. And one of the greatest ways that he would teach us that is to get you hitched. Because it would be the most difficult. And it would cause you to fully die to self. It would cause 100% death and daily struggles and challenges of learning what it means to work together and to become one and to not be about you. But really the bigger picture was that God wants us and the body to be one flesh and us to be one together just as he and the Father's one. And so we'll come back to that. But in order for us to truly become one flesh with Jesus, he would have to do something above and beyond anything that we could imagine or think to the church, and it would be even more than just dying on the cross. Because we think that the, the fullness of it was the cross, and though it was the culmination, Jesus actually carried a cross for three years prior to the cross. Every day he would have to deny himself and take up his cross. And that cross looked like something. And it wasn't just denying himself, but it was actually carrying a weight for each other and carrying a burden for one another. Because think about it. If he's going to go on the cross and take all the sin of the world and the struggles and the grief and the challenges and the hardship, if he was going to take it upon himself on the cross, he would have to do it while he walked this earth. Otherwise, he would be born a baby, I don't know, 13 maybe when he became a, a young Man, 14, 15, 16, I don't know. He'd just go ahead and go to the cross. But instead, for 33 years, he had to live it and walk it. And for three years of that, he would have to intimately live with his disciples and the multitudes every day, bringing love, life, health, healing, and freedom to other people. He'd have to lay his life down for the church, not just on the cross, but every day of his life, cherishing, nourishing, sharing, talking, and suffering with the people. It goes both ways. For true unity to take place and a demonstration of love to take place, Jesus would have to take away 
and literally carry the burden of the people upon himself. Because it's not just about dying to self, but it's about laying my life down for you and then helping to carry your weight and your burden and to be unified together with you so you don't go through this life alone. That's what he really wanted. And that's going to cost something. That's another form of understanding carrying a cross because, yeah, I mean, Jesus would deny himself, but he'd also carry the cross for you, didn't he? And that's a picture of us laying our lives down for one another and not being afraid to mess up our busy agendas and schedules and not being afraid to deny our nice little comfortable suburbia lifestyle with our nice white picket fence and our pretty dog and hopefully not drinking Starbucks every day. Because carrying a cross means that I'm willing to carry your burden and your weight too. And it means that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to lay my life down for you. Welcome to Rock City Church. Shared the story a lot. If you're visiting today, I'll tell it to you again. My wife and I, before we started this church, we were living in Port Aransas. I had a great little Boston whaler. We watched the dolphin at sunset every day. I lived half a block from the coffee shop, but we had big cruiser bikes, and we strutted around ringing our bells every day around Port Aransas while we ate <laughs> Mexican food, drank coffee, and watched the dolphin at sunset, and I fished for trout. Sounds like a pretty good life, doesn't it? Yeah, if you want to be miserable. You know why? Because you won't be doing what God wants you to do. If you think that living your nice little life and being comfortable with your nice little house and all your little things the way you want it to be, Jesus will come and mess that up because the minute you stop living on the edge is the minute you lose your fire. You want comfort? Kiss the fire goodbye. Shaka. If we don't make a decision right now going into this year that you're going to unite and you're going to help each other carry their burden, and if you don't get strong for somebody else, then you're going to go into this year with hurts and pains and struggles and challenges. Forget this year. Forget. I'm talking about years. The Lord has never called you to go through this life alone. But the enemy wants to pick you off and divide you. He wants to destroy your marriage and get you pitted against your spouse because that's exactly what he's trying to do between Jesus and his church and then get his church divided. It's time to become a trench fighter and you don't have to have long hair to do it. It's time for you to get lean and mean and to rise up and realize that God has called you to so much more. It's not just about making the money in your career. It's not just about having an easy lifestyle. And I'm sorry for every pastor and minister and church that supposedly hurt you or did you wrong, and maybe they did, maybe they didn't. The point is it's a new day. Let's get over it and let's get going. I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes. I'm sorry. I'm raising two little kids. I've only been married five years. The church is blown up. I got, I'm a bivocational minister. I'm in the trenches in my own unique way and doing the best I can to empower people to fight together with you. Yeah. And I pray and I worship and I warfare in my personal life. And then I invest into their lives so that they can invest into you. And I do what I know God's called me to do. And the greatest thing that we can do is make ourselves available. And that's what I want to do. And I want you to do. So watch this. You're going to really like this. Paul would relate the mystery of marriage and would relate the understanding of laying our lives down for our spouse to what we're supposed to be doing for each other. That's how true unity and becoming one flesh 
would look like. And even though the cross would be the ultimate example, it's the day in and the day out that Jesus would have to show us in order for us to live like him. He would weep, grieve, and he would walk long when he was exhausted. He would pray consistently to be diligently focused to the call of God at hand so he could remain strong to do what he was called to do. One of the greatest Old Testament messianic prophecies concerning Jesus, we're told that he would bear and carry or take away our griefs and our sorrows. Let's look at Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah 53, 4. says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So he, bo- he bears our grief, and he carried our sorrows. Grief means to be sick, anxious, to have calamity, or malady in your life. Malady is sickness and disease. There's all kinds of sickness and disease, not just physical. The shooter in Fort Lauderdale a few days ago, mental sickness. Totally deceived by a demon and full of serious mental sickness. It all has its root in the, roots in the demonic. Sure, he could probably had a chemical imbalance and all the other stuff. But the point is, is he was deceived. He's like, I was forced to watch ISIS videos. And then in turn, he gets a gun, goes into the Fort Lauderdale air, airport, and shoots six innocent bystanders. So grief, the first thing for grief is sickness, anxiety, malady, and anxiety. Sorrows is a very unique word. Sadness is like a temporary feeling or expression or acceptance. It's a short-term except like I'm sad. But sorrow is a little bit different. Sorrow is like long-term hurt and pain that doesn't seem to go away. Sorrow is when that sadness in your heart or your life takes root and doesn't leave. These are people that feel hopeless. These are people that are destitute. They're at their end and they can't seem to recover. To be in sorrow is a place of mental and physical pain. It's a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortune suffered by oneself or in another. It's an outward expression of grief. And it, it leads to a place where you resign yourself to that pain. Hardship, loss, and the things that we struggled happen in people's life, but what we did was we made a choice to not let it bring us to a place of sorrow. We were sad, but we didn't come to a place of resignation to let it take root in our heart, which then leads to depression, which then leads to people isolating themselves and, and being mentally anguished. Do you understand that? But this is the cool thing about that. Look what Jesus would come to do. He would come to bear it, and he would come to take it away. He would come to bear and carry it. He'd not only do it for the disciples, but he did it to the multitudes on many occasions. The understanding of bearing and carrying, just leave that scripture up, is this. It means to lift off, carry, and take away. It means to sustain, support, and endure with you by doing two things. I'm going to help you carry your load, and sometimes I'll take it completely away from you. 
So when we were going through our hardship, we knew that Jesus was there carrying, yeah. carrying us through it. He didn't take it away at the moment. And even though still when we meditate and think about it, there's sadness in our heart because we wish our daughter was with us. And we, we feel in the natural that she should be with us. We haven't resigned to sorrow to the point of allowing ourselves to resign, which leads us to anxiety, depression, and many people to throw in their faith. How many people do you know that have given up on the Lord? How many people do you know that went through a hard time and blamed God and shook their fist at God? God did this to me, which is a lie from the devil. Instead, what I know is as he was bearing my grief and he was carrying my sorrow through it. And if I clung to him resiliently, then what he would do is he would take it away and he would transform that into great faith and confidence. And now I would become strong to help any of you here today that are going through sorrow and grief. And you know what I know? Chances are likely at least 30, 40% of you in this room have sorrow and grief right now. You're in pain. It's all right. I know. Here's how I know. First of all, as a pastor, I'm in relationship with a lot of people here. I also have a lot of leaders that report to me about how many of you are doing. And for those of you that I don't know and don't know what you're going through in the natural, I can feel it in the spirit. I feel strife in marriages. I feel strife at home, worry, fear about finances. Some of you have lost loved ones and are in great pain. And here's what else I know. If we provide a house of healing and we build Rock City Church to be like the pool of Bethesda where people can't help themselves into the water, but we come along as Jesus' hands and feet, if we're going to make a decision here to be a place of restoration for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for your future, and help you overcome, you know what God will do? He'll keep bringing more people just like you and me here. That's why this church is going to grow. And what we have to do is make sure that we don't just become another mega church, but rather that we reproduce and we duplicate so that in this church there's reproductive life for everybody that comes, which means I need you to get healthy. I need you to get strong and get united in the church, not divided. God wants us united, not divided. Come on, guys. Snap out of the dysfunction. I'm sorry for anything that's held you back, anything. I'm not a TV preacher, and not every preacher's like a TV preacher. And not all TV preachers are bad, but a lot of them are. Stop buying holy oil, holy water, prayed over by some guy in the Holy Land. I'll pray over your water for free, and then I'll anoint you on the head. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, I'll throw you in, whatever it takes. So Jesus would bear and carry. Let me give you some other understandings of bear and carry. This is one of my favorite definitions of bear and carry. You ready? It means to drag yourself along. You want to know a great picture of dragging yourself along? Jesus on the Via Doloroso. He's so beat to the ground, his back is ripped off, he's bled out, he's about to die already because all his back has been ripped off and shredded to pieces by lead and glass and shards. You had thorns stuck in your head, you had uh, your beard plucked out, mocked, put into all the shame and all the mockery put on him, and then he has to walk that cross up to his own death already when he probably feels like dying you know how much the cross weighed just the cross beam was 45 pounds the whole cross was 300 
So God, God would have to send a rock. A guy by the name of Simon, but really his name means rock. A bystander from Africa, from Libya, there to worship in Jerusalem. From a place that's named after the word to listen and to hearken. And here's a visitor, and there's Jesus bleeding out, and he can't carry his cross anymore. Because he'd already carried for years, and then he got it whipped to no end. And so there's Simon the Cyrene. Some of you may not know the story, but I'll, if you haven't seen The Passion, there's a great you know, story there. But we don't know for sure that Simon the Cyrene was uh, Jewish. We don't know for sure. But we know he was there to worship. He could have been an African Jew. And what we know is, is Jesus can't carry his cross. So Jesus, if Jesus would have to have help carrying his cross, how much more do we need to help each other carry their cross? Because I'm taking you another understanding today. I will preach hard on taking up your cross and dying to yourself. This isn't about you. It's time to die. I mean, I have preached that. If, I mean, that might need to go on my headstone. This isn't about you. Die to yourself. I think that's a pretty good <laughs> gravestone saying. Will you put that on? I'm not gonna, I don't plan on dying for a long time, but write that down. Oh, yeah. It's not about you. Time to die to yourself. It's your turn. Gravestone. It's your turn to die. Come on, guys. It's good to laugh today. I need you guys so fired up. I got to overcome this hair thing. No, I'm kidding. I got to get you overcoming. It's what I got to do. So to drag yourself along means that you're bearing the load and you're now making yourself, you're taking the burden so much on you that you now become the burden yourself. And that's why you get the second part of the scripture. Look at Jesus. God's afflicting him. He's the sick one now. But guess what? While Jesus took all the pain, all the shame upon himself, the other people got to go free. Like Barabbas, the murderer. So now Jesus is the murderer. Let's let the other guy go. We don't care anymore. So now Jesus would come and cast out demons in people's lives with one word. And he would set the captives free and take the burden away from you and your grief and your sorrow. And take it upon himself, not just at the cross, but every day to fulfill this scripture. Did you know that? Before you go to the next verse, that's on my notes, which you all don't know, but they know. Check this out. You would sure think that this scripture was was fully fulfilled on the cross, wouldn't you? Now let's pull up the next scripture, Matthew 8, 16 and 17. This scripture was actually fulfilled prior to the cross. And that's the point I really want us to get today. Because if we're going to become unified, and if we're going to overcome the enemy and all the lies that are coming down the line, we need to become more unified than ever before. So check this out. When evening had come, Jesus, by the way, Jesus, if you read the context of the story, Jesus is wiped out, tired. He had been ministering since early in the morning all day long, pouring out to people. And because of what he had done, the multitudes were following him around. And listen to this. 
When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word. I love this because I want to see people so strong and powerful and mighty in the Lord that you just go, in Jesus' name, come out. Or how about, it's like a word, out. Just out. Be free in Jesus' name. All right, I'm just dreaming a little bit. I'd like to see the church walking in that kind of power. And he healed all, everybody say all, All. who were sick. You know why? Not just because he loved them, and he did. He loved the people so much. But to fulfill, look at the next verse, Isaiah 53, 4. So to fulfill prophecy, every day he would have to bear his cross, and he'd have to suffer long, and he'd have to set the captives free. If you want to fulfill the call of God on your life, everybody's got a similar call. Set the captives free. Defend the fatherless. Be a father to the orphan. Bring justice where there's injustice. Give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Help the lame to walk. We all have that call. And so part of Jesus Jesus bearing his cross wasn't just the culmination of dying on the cross, but to fulfill Isaiah 53, one of the greatest messianic prophecies, he'd have to do it every single day. And that's the kind of church I want. Man, that's the kind of church I want. And my 15, 20 leaders or 140 volunteers can't do it alone. And the only reason why we're going to keep growing is because there's a harvest that needs Jesus. And guess who the harvest is going to consist of? The hardest, ugliest, most difficult people that are going to walk in full of dysfunction and hatred and offenses. Because I got a newsflash for you. Go back a scripture. Who, why in the world were these people demon-possessed? I like asking questions like that. I mean, you never really think about that, do you? So multitudes were coming, people were coming possessed. And instead of Jesus saying, now listen, we need to have a counseling session. (laughs) Peter, schedule a time. You just need another counseling session. Now listen, I love what we do here at this church in bringing healing through our Restoring Our Identity class. And I believe there has to be room for people to talk through and work through your past issues and your hurts and pains. And I'm all about inner healing and deliverance. But I need to help you understand a couple things. This is the picture of pure love. And if you don't get past this, I got to fix you thing. And I got to fix everybody else. And if you don't take down the guard of I'm hurting and broken and need somebody strong to lift me up. And then when we get strong, if you don't reach down into the gutter and pull somebody out, you're going to miss being like Jesus. Because he said... Because they came, he's like, oh, you're demon-possessed? And he probably knew in the back of their mind that just last night they were reading tarot cards and at the psychic's house. He probably knew in the back of their mind that they'd been alcoholic, drunk, fornicators. These are the worst of the worst. He goes, come out in Jesus' name, be healed. And so he healed everybody that was sick with a word because he loved them. And it's love that transforms people's lives, and it's being willing to lay your life because it it sounds easy in the scriptures. But imagine, put yourself in his shoes. 
I got all these messed up, jacked up people, and I'm tired. I got a schedule. I got, I got a busy life. I got all this stuff I got to do, and these people still want more. So he suffered, and he carried the weight, and he brought freedom to their lives. It's bearing and carrying and dragging oneself along. But you can drag yourself along when you're pregnant with vision. Here's, here's two examples of what I'm teaching you right now. The first example I want to use is being forgiven. When you are, have really done somebody wrong and you feel bad about it and they come along and say, I forgive you, it lifts such an incredible weight off of your life. You actually set the other person free when you forgive them. You're holding people in bondage by walking in unforgiveness. You can't afford to walk in unforgiveness. It'll make you sick. It'll kill you. Bitterness is the worst destructive force on this earth. Please, I'm beseeching and begging you to forgive and let go of that thing. But you know what happens when you finally get forgiven? When I went before the Greek judge 10 years after I had gotten sentenced, for those of you that are visiting, I used to be a Grateful Dead follower and I got busted for drugs. I spent a year in prison. I wasn't a violent con artist. I wasn't a, a violent convict. I was a peace, love, and happiness tie-dye guy. <laughs> that fit better when I had long hair. Yes. But would you believe I actually had short hair in those days? I had short hair in those days. And so I spent a year in prison. Ten years later, I filed for an adjudication. I went before the same Greek judge. And I shared my testimony to the entire courtroom because he said to me, why should I grant this to you? And I said, I said to him, thank you, by the way, for putting me in prison. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I probably would have been dead had God not rescued me and got me off the streets of selling LSD and drugs, thank God for prison because it changed my life and set me on another course. And ultimately, I met Jesus there. And then I go before the judge 10 years later, and I want my record wiped clean. And I was nervous. I'd been having nightmares of me getting thrown back in jail because I lied to the trial. I lied at trial, and I had to tell the the. Uh, the board, when I filled out the paperwork, that yes, I had lied, I wasn't honest, and I was freaking out, thinking, man, they're going to send me back to jail, and I'm nervous, and I had a short haircut and a suit and tie, and I walked in, and the judge says, why should I grant? I said, your honor, thank you for what you did. He started crying. The whole courtroom was quiet, and I said, it was the best year of my life, and now I'm helping hundreds of teenagers get their lives free and never go through what I went through, and he picked up his anvil, and he said, adjudicated, approved. And he struck it, and I was set free. So the point that I'm saying to you, thank you. The point that I'm saying to you, it's the lifting off of a weight upon my life because the burden had been removed. Another great example of carrying a burden that finally gets removed is the word gravid. You know what the word gravid means? Anybody? You know what the first meaning of the word gravid is? To be pregnant. Look it up. You can Google it right now. It means to be pregnant. Here's the premise. When a, when a woman is pregnant at 35 to 40 weeks and they're about full term, everything goes haywire. Their feet swell, their legs. I mean, my wife was miserable. Her back was pulled out. She couldn't ever sleep. Her nose was running. Her head was clogged up. She was emotional, hormonal. I mean, my gosh, we were like, please, let's get rid of this baby. Let's get delivered this baby because the weight she was carrying. So think about it. When a woman is that pregnant 
At the very end, you're kind of dragging yourself along. But you can do it because you have hopeful expectation of what you're about to birth. And that's what Jesus would do. And he would be strong. It means to be strong in labor. Everybody say strong in labor. The premise is, is I'm strong in labor for you. I am not backing down. I'm not backing down. And by the grace of God, I won't do something stupid, and I know it's by his grace, but I'm fully committed to the purposes that God has no matter what, no matter how many people come or go. I can see a vision, and I'm going after, after it because I'm pregnant, in a sense, with vision, and that means a lot of times I feel like I might be dragging myself along, but I'm strong in the midst of it. Because I see what God has for you. Let me tell you this. No sin phases me. Ever. I have people tell me, I've had people confess murder at the altar. Under the, they're like, I just can't carry this weight anymore. I killed somebody once. I have had people tell me that I'm going to commit suicide. I was going to commit suicide when I leave here. I've had people tell me they're going to kill their children when they leave church. I've heard the worst of the worst, from affairs to thieves to lying, stealing, cheating, killing. And I have to be able to love everybody with the love of Christ. Yeah. I have to be able to not go, oh, my God, you did what? <laughs> I'm in shock. <laughs> because if they're confessing, they're ready to get free. Yeah. And if I'm not strong, I'm going to cave in with them and go, oh, my Oh, God. holy crap. Can you hang on here while I, while I call 911? <laughs> to be gravid means to be strong in labor. It means that Jesus would be able to carry the cross because he was pregnant with vision. So when I see any one of you, I don't, please never feel shame around me. And please... My prayer is that every leader I have in this place that my wife and I have would never make you feel ashamed. There's enough churches out there that beat people over the head with the Bible and make them feel bad. And there's people staying away from church because they feel like if they really knew who I was or who they were, they, wouldn't, they would be kicked out. Teenage girls have gotten pregnant and got kicked out of church. People have gone through divorces as horrible and nasty and awful as divorces are as much as they're full of death. People have been kicked out of churches because their marriage didn't make it. And then you know what happens? They just ultimately, if they don't give up, they go to another church and the church embraces them. And it doesn't mean that everybody does the right thing and it doesn't mean that I don't tell them what should be happening. Some people get offended just by hearing the truth. Right? And then they blame it on the church. But my point is, is that we have to carry a weight for each other and we have to love each other. And I want to tell everyone, if this is your first time, 10th time, a year time, I don't care what it is. What I need you to understand is that when I see you, I see you the way Jesus sees you. And if you're angry, part of this message is for some of you that are angry and apathetic and turned off by the outcast, the hurting, and the broken. You're angry at the, the meth addict. You're angry at the drug dealer. And you can have anger, but there's got to be a love underneath that to set that captive free. Because what's going to happen when one night the drug dealer or the trafficker has a dream that shakes him to his core and he wakes up shaking in a pool of sweat because he saw Jesus in the night and then he said, I got to go. And I heard about that church, Rock City. And they walk in and we sneer and we snide and we get offended 
And maybe you even, maybe that was your old drug dealer. What's he doing here? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. Are you catching what I'm saying today? There is an anointing on this message because some of you need to let your guard down and start loving and allowing yourself. If you are hurting and angry and broken, you're going to need to get up here for prayer today. And I'll still stand with you no matter how apathetic you become. I'm sorry. Guess what? Walk it out. Let's stick together. Because if you stay in this house, you will get marinated. You stick a piece of steak in marinade, that steak is going to smell like, taste like, and take on the nature of that marinade. Just stick around. Let somebody love on you. Now, I can't do it all myself or I'll, I'll, bur I'll be wore out. I wish I could sit long with every one of you and have coffee and be the direct one that influences your life. If you want me fried out and neglecting my family, I'll do that. But I can't be fried out. I've got to empower. See, Jesus would take 12 people, empower them in three years, and change the whole world. And even when the Hellenistic Jews, the money Jews, the Hellenistic Jews from Greece came, and they had all the money, and they wanted to have Jesus' attention. They're like, man, we got wealth, prominence, and influence. Can we get a meeting with Jesus? Jesus is like, there's going to come a time where I'm going to be lifted up, and everybody's going to see me. So he would have to pick and choose because he was only one guy. The only way we're going to be able to do what we're called to do is if you snap out of that hurt and that pain and go from weakness to strength, yeah. and now your strength becomes something for those that are weak. Yeah. But what you need to know is I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you, you can be as hurting and broken, depressed and anxious. Your marriage could be one step from divorce. You could be walking out thinking you're going to commit suicide today and your life is not valuable. And what I'm here to tell you is there's hope. You can rise up out of it and we'll love you and we're going to help you and we're going to pray for you and we're going to fight in the trenches with you. To care... To carry and bury means I'm going to take up with my own hands and I'm going to lift the burden that's upon, of you, upon you. That means you have to be active, present, in the moment, and have compassion. And you can't fake compassion. You can't fake compassion. And until you get the nature of Jesus inside of you, it'll all just be works to make yourself feel better. You'll go serve at the mission. You'll give away clothes. You'll go through all the right things because it'll make you feel good. Compassion is authentic. Compassion means that I love you whether you stay here or not. I love the homeless guy with AIDS as much as I love the millionaire that doesn't have AIDS. I don't care. I just really don't care. I want to love like Jesus loves, and I want to show his kindness and compassion because if I reflect with authenticity then I, and I see you get free, it brings the greatest joy to my life. You'll get the greatest joy of your life when you become and you reproduce and see somebody else become. So dying to yourself and carrying your cross means also I'm going to carry your burden. That's a part of it. You're only carrying part of the cross if you're just dying to self because you got to be willing to carry the cross of others and help them. Look at Romans 15, 1 through 3. Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. This says scruples, New King James. Better word would be the, the failings or the shortcomings of other people. And not to please ourselves. So we, 
we first have to be strong if I'm going to help somebody that's weak. Get that? If you're not on the rock, you're not going to be able to save somebody else who's drowning. Because when somebody's drowning, you know what happens? When you go to rescue them, they're in panic mode. They'll pull you under. So lifeguards have techniques to snap them out of that panic mode. Sometimes it's a punch to the face, a quick pile drive to the face. Come on, guys. Nacho Libre right there. Pile drive to the face. Seriously, because you know what it does? It shocks them out. You got to get on the rock so that you can help somebody else get on the rock. And that's this understanding. Strong and weak are polar opposites. They're, they both include the word dinatus in the Greek, but one is anadinatus. That means that you are not able. So to be weak, let me help you understand what weak is, and this may be some of you right now. Here's what it means to be weak. It means to be powerless, without strength. It means that you are impotent. You have no re reproductive life inside of you. It means that it's impossible, you've been disabled, and it can't be done, or you can't do it anymore. You ever said to yourself, I'm so done, I can't do it anymore. Now, sometimes you think you're done, but you're not really done, but sometimes people are really done, and you've become powerless to bring any change. You have no ability to bring a life force to somebody else, let alone yourself. That's what it means to be weak. It means I can't do it anymore. I've been disabled. It's impossible. Everybody say impossible. But see, the great thing about this is the opposite of anadinatus is the word dinatus, which is, of course, leads to the word dunamis. It means dynamic power and strength to accomplish and overcome. But the word for strong means now I have power. I am able. I do have reproductive life and power inside of me. And it means that when you think it's impossible, I make it possible. And I want you to notice here, this doesn't say, we who are strong ought to just say, Jesus is your only way. Be strong. I'll pray for you. Have a nice day. Now, there's truth to that. There's truth to the fact that you got to get to the cross. I can't keep enabling you. If you don't ultimately get born again and get to the cross, we're going to be in this cycle of you always want to call me when you're going through a hard time. And I don't have time for that. And neither does everybody else. But at the same time, there's a balance, and the balance isn't just go to Jesus. The balance has to be both. You need to get to Jesus, but come here, give me your hand. I am strong where you're not. The great thing about a body and a leadership and even in a marriage is you're supposed to be strong where the other person's weak, which means I can now see your weakness. And instead of me tearing you down because of your weakness, I become strong where you are weak instead of kicking you down and beating you down. In a good team and in a good church and in a good marriage, it's I see your weakness. Now I'm going to be strong where you're not strong. And that requires us to bear the burden of somebody else. But it's not to please yourself. And that's why I tell you, you can't do this just to puff yourself up or because it's just the right thing to do. I just got to go feed the homeless because it's the right thing to do. That's behavior modification. You'll only be able to do it for so long. If it doesn't come from a place of authenticity and compassion and understanding that God has made you strong to help somebody who's weak so you can pull them out of it, you can't do it to please yourself. This isn't about, you don't get any accolades. Glad you came to church today, but now it's time for you to change. <laughs>
Look at this. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to edify him. To edify means to build up. So now I'm doing it to please the people around me and to edify you. In verse 3, for Christ didn't please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached him, thee, fell on me. So the reproaches of the people fell upon Christ, and he did not do it to please himself, but he did it to set the captives free. In order to help somebody, you've got to be strong with fortitude and strength and reproductive power, even if it means sometimes you feel like you're dragging yourself along, doesn't it? When you say it's so hard, I can barely make it. But more often than not, you're right at the birthing phase because the harder it is, the itchier that wound gets, that's the time of healing and that's the time of life. And if I don't give up and I don't throw in the towel and I don't call my marriage over and I don't quit the church and I don't isolate myself and give up when hardship knocks on my door, but I stand firm and when you act out or the person you're loving a hundred times steals from you, robs from you, it doesn't mean you become a doormat, and it doesn't mean you keep enabling the addict or the one that's hurting you, but it does mean you learn how to love them the way Jesus loved them, and you care deeply for, for them. As much as I hate everything about ISIS and what they do, and as much as they do have to be stopped, and, and the, the, the only way to stop them most of the time is through death and destruction, as much as that's taking place, my prayer is, Jesus, please save them, for they know not what they do. Underly the underlying of everything we do, even when there's anger, has to be a love. There has to be. Jesus would need help carrying his cross. We need to help each other. When Moses was in the wilderness leading millions of people to the promised land, he would sit all day long and he'd wear himself out trying to do it by himself. He had no understanding of the fact that if he didn't make a change, he'd fry out. Exodus 18, 18, Jethro comes, his father-in-law, and says, you're going to wear yourself out. This is too heavy for you. You're not able to perform it alone. So let's say that together. Say, I'm not able, I'm not able. to perform it alone. And it's going to be messy, guys, because we're all an, an imperfect people being made perfect. Let's stop trying to pick out planks and specks and be angry and divided. We can work with other churches and ministries in this town. We're not the only ones. There are wonderful Christians all over the world, and we should love really, really well. And that's the premise of the fact that Moses was going to wear himself out if he didn't empower other people to help him. And so what would happen? If you've never read this in Exodus 18, I've taught on it a lot. Jethro would say, find people that are able and trustworthy and hate covetousness and hate bribery, that fear God. Find those kind of people because they've become strong, right? And, do, and put them over hundreds and thousands and fives and tens. And then he said this in verse 22. He says, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any small matter they'll decide themselves. This is the power of reproduction. As you grow in leadership, you reproduce so that you can only, you know, handle the things that God wants you to handle. And you help other people then to learn to handle the smaller matters. And then they rise up and then they reproduce. But he says this, so it will be easier for you and they will do what? They'll bear the burden with you. This is a great leadership understanding that as God raises you up, you must empower people. 
and understand you can't do it alone. And I'll leave you with this, and then we're going to pray. In the garden, in the beginning, I, you know, I love talking about the garden. In the garden, God would give Adam his first job description. His first job description was to tend and keep the garden, okay, which means he was to be a gardener. So God would make this awesome garden, and he'd put Adam in there, and he'd say, now you take care of it. You be an aid to what I've created, right? And then he goes on, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you in the way that I see it. Then he goes on to say, this isn't good for you to do it alone. You need to share in what we're sharing in. So I'm going to do something that's going to be a picture of how much I love you and how unified I want you to be so you can really on earth feel the kind of love that I have for my people and for each other. I'm going to do something really incredible and I'm going to make a woman. And this woman will now become an aid, a surrounder, and a supporter for what you're called to do so that you could celebrate together in what I have for my church. And this is a great mystery. But that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will, this is from, this is a quote from the garden. And you'd say, oh man, he's just talking about marriage. No, he's not. Verse 31, or 32. What God wants is great unity between us and him and us and each other. And marriage would be such a great picture of what unity is supposed to look like between Christ and the church. That's why the devil works so hard to kill your marriage. He, works, he tries so hard in our lives. It's a constant process of death to self. And if you're single and wanting to get married, I got wor a word for you. If you're single right now, if anybody's single, whether you want to be married or not, old, young, wherever, wherever you're at in life, Paul says to be single is to be fully devoted to the Lord, which means he's your husband. But to be married is to be fully devoted to your spouse. Now, it says husbands to your wife, but the point and the premise is it doesn't mean that I'm not devoted to the Lord, but it means now my ministry and my priority becomes first to my family. I will not sacrifice my family for ministry. I've had people come in here and say, Pastor, my call of God is more important than my marriage. And I'm called to ministry, and he would leave his kids and his wife night after night to go minister in the streets and evangelize. And I can't tell you how many children, now adults, that I pray for who had parents like that, that, they, that maybe some of you were sacrificed for the sake of the call. That's not family that's religious dysfunction. And I love you a lot. And I have a special place for the church because I was orphaned and outcast. And I have to learn how to do marriage well because my, I was, my mom left my dad, left me when I was young and I was with my dad, raised by my father. My, father, my blood father left me and then I was raised by a stepfather. I was in a single parent home with my father, my stepfather, and I didn't really know how to love women. The way I knew to love women was to chase them down at the bars on 25-cent draft beer night. <laughs> they don't do that anymore, but that was then. 
now it's, I don't know what, it's probably $10 a beer. I don't even know. But the point is, is women were not used properly in my life because I didn't see it right. So I have to learn how to love, and it's hard. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything because no one's more perfect for me than my bride. We don't always feel that way, though. <laughs> Listen, we're going to be authentic and real. We're in the trenches, too, everybody. Come on. Don't even pretend. So the Lord wants unity in his church as much as he wants us to have unity with him. Marriage would be the picture of that, a bearing and carrying. And so would all of our callings to each other in the church, and you simply can't do it alone. I think the Lord's trying to say something to all of us here today. That if we're going to really, really accomplish what he has for us, then you got to get back united together with this church. It's time. Come on. We need each other. We're family. I'll love you. What you see is what you get. I'm for you. I care about you. I can only love on so many people. I can't meet with you with everybody for coffee and lunches because I'll wear myself out. But you know what I do? I see awesome young women like Olivia who's been loved on and empowered and knows that she's loved and knows we're going to walk through her with her through anything that she goes through. And Olivia now becomes a life force. And where she was weak and she came in weak and struck with struggles and challenges, now she's become strong. Because if no one's becoming strong here, how are we going to help the weak? So she becomes strong. Adam becomes strong. Betty, Marlene, I just start going down the list. And those of you that are here now hurting and broken, if you stick around, you'll become strong. And Jeff, and then suddenly all the new people that have come in that have not experienced this life come into a life force of strength. But on the flip side, you never have to walk in shame. And if you're hurting and broken today, you need to know that the presence of God is here and there's love ruling and reigning in this house to comfort you and strengthen you so that you can now become strong and help somebody else carry their burden. Amen? Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.